0: okay good afternoon everybody today is March 31st I am delinquent and getting some place for you I have always loved Eugene O'Neill and I'm kind of on it I get on these kicks so right now I'm on a Eugene O'Neill kick and um, I'm trying to pl- find a play for the drama lady theater group to um, tour in the fall of 2018 and so I'm going to uh read a um little known play and um I might even risk sounding a little bit um what's the word uninformed because um I'm not I'm not familiar with this place called the title is Il I L Il. E L um, it's kind of a vernacular for New England, the way they say oil, Um, I think I might, there's a risk that I'm mispronouncing it. So anybody listening to my podcast will probably say, um, girl, you don't know what you're talking about. And you're probably right. But I'm going to go ahead and read it to you because Eugene O'Neill, his latter plays, rightfully so, are well known. The Iceman Cometh, um, Long Day's Journey Into Night, um, I, A few years ago, I had my students read The Hairy Ape, which um, I'll probably read to you, which is a great uh, play. Um, I became hip to Eugene O'Neill when I fell in love with his play. Um, What was, gosh, Emperor Jones. That is a bang-up play. All folks should read it. If you're an African-American male and you're looking for a good part to play, you need to check that play out. If you're a director and you want to play with surrealism check that play out that's why i got into it if you just like literature like american literature check that play out okay here we go so illy by ill by eugene o'neill the characters are steward ben captain keeney second mate mrs keeney joe and other crew And stage directions are as follows. Captain Kinney's cabin on board the steam whaling ship Atlantic Queen. A small square compartment about 8 feet high with a skylight in the center looking out on the poop deck. On the left, the stern of the ship, a long bench with rough cushions is built in against the wall. In front of the bench, a table. Over the bench, several curtain potholes. Portholes, excuse me. In the rear, left. A door leading to the captain's sleeping quarters. To the right of the door, a small organ looking as if it were brand new. is placed against the wall. On the right to the rear, a marble-topped sideboard. On the sideboard, a woman's sewing basket. Farther forward, a doorway leading to the companionway. And past the officer's quarter to the main deck. In the center of the room, a stove. From the middle of the ceiling, a hanging lamp is suspended. The walls of the cabin are painted white. There is no rolling of the ship and the light which comes through the skylight is sickly and faint indicating one of those gray days of calm when ocean and sky are alike dead the silence is unbroken except for the measured tread of someone walking up and down on the poop deck overhead it is nearing two bells one o'clock in the afternoon of a day in the year of 1895 the rise of the curtain there is a moment of intense silence silence. Then the steward enters and commences to clear the table of the few dishes which still remain on it after the captain's dinner. He is an old grizzled man dressed in dungaree pants, sweater, and wool cap with ear flaps. His manner is sullen and gray. He stops stacking up the plates and casts a quick look glance around at the skylight, then tiptoes over to the closed door in the rear and listens with his ears pressed to the crack. What he hears makes his face darken, and he musters a furious curse. There is a noise from the doorway on the right, and he darts back to the table. Ben, ben enters. He is an overgrown, gawky boy with a long, pinched face. He is dressed in win- in a sweater, fur cap, etc. His teeth are chattered with the cold, and he hurries to the stove, where he stands for a moment, shivering, blowing on his hands, slapping them against his the sides on the verge of crying. Oh, tis you. What are ye shivering about? Stay by the stove, ye belong, and ye'll find no need of chattering. It's cold. Trying to hold his chattering teeth derisively. Who do you think it were, the old man? None your lip, young gun, or I'll learn ye. Where was it you've been all of the time? The Fossil? Fossil? Yes! Let the old man, let the old man see you up for monkey shining with the handstand. He'll get a hiding and you'll not forget in a hurry. Oh, he don't see nothing. He just walks up and down like he didn't notice nobody and stares at the ice to the northward. He's always staring at the ice. Ice, ice, ice! Damn him and the damn the ice, holding us in for a nigh on a year. Nothing to see but ice stuck in it, like a fly in molasses. Shh! Can you hear ye? Ah, damn him and damn the Arctic seas and damn this wicked whaling ship of his and damn me for a fool to ever ship on it. He's a hard man, as hard as man has ever sailed the seas. hi Two years we all signed up for undone this day, blessed Christ. Two years of this dog's life and no luck in the fishing, and the hens half starved with the food running low, rotten as it is, and not a sign of him turning back for home, home. I begin to doubt if I ever I'll set foot on him again. What is it he thinks he's a going to do? Keep us all up here after our time is work it. It's worked out till the last man of us is starved to death or frozen. We've grub enough hardly to last us out the voyage back if we started now. What are the men going to do about it? Did you hear any talk in the forecastle? They said if he don't put back south for home today, they're going to mutiny. Mutiny? Aye. Aye. Tis the only thing they can do and serve him right after the manner he's treated them. It's if they want no better nor dogs. The ice is all broken up to the south'ard. They're clear. What as far as you can see? He ain't got no excuse for not turning back for home, the men says. He won't look no ways but north'ard, where there's only the ice to see he don't want to see no clear water all he thinks on is getting in the isles if it was our fault he ain't had good luck with the whales i think the man's mighty nigh loosen his sentences do you really think he's crazy i "'Tis the punishment of God on him. "'Did you ever hear of a man who wasn't crazy "'do these things he does? "'Who but a man that's mad would take his woman, "'and as sweet a woman as ever, "'on a stinking, whaling ship to the Arctic, "'sees to be locked in by the rotten ice "'for nigh on a year, "'and maybe loses her senses forever? "'For it's sure she'll never be the same again. "'She's used to be awful nice to me before. "'She got like she is.' Aye, she was good to us all. Twould have been hell on board without her, for he's a hard man, a hard, hard hard man, a driver if there ever was one. (laughs) I hope he's satisfied now, driving her on till she's near lost her mind, and who could blame her? Tis is, tis a god's wonder. We're not ship full of crazed people with the damned ice all the time, and the quiet so think you're afraid to hear your own voice. She don't ever speak to me no more. Just like, just looks at me as if she didn't know me. She don't know no one but him. She talks to him when she does talk right enough. She does make nothing all day long now, but sitting so, then she cries to herself without making no noise. I've seen her. I could hear her through the door a while back. But she's a crime now. God sent his soul to hell for the devil he is. There is a noise of someone coming slowly down the companionway. Stewart hurries to his stacked up dishes. He is no nervous from fright. He looks off the top one which falls and breaks on the floor. He stands aghast, trembling with dread. Ben is violently rubbing off the organ with a piece of cloth which he has snatched from his pocket. Captain Keeley appears in the doorway on right and comes into the cabin, removing his fur cap as he does. He is a man of about forty, about around four five ten in height, but looking much shorter on account of his enormous proportions of his shoulders and chest. His face is massive and deep in line with gray blue eyes of a bleak hardness and a tightly clenched thin-lipped mouth. His thick hair is long and gray. He is dressed in a heavy blue jacket and blue pants stuffed into his sea boots. He is followed the cabin by the second mate, a rangy six-footer with a lame, lean weather-beaten face. The mate is dressed about the same as the captain. He is a man of thirty or so. Keenly comes toward the steward with a stern look on his face. The steward is visibly frightened, and the stack of dishes rattles in his trembling hands. Keeny draws back his fist, and the steward shrinks away. The fist is gradually lowered, and Keeny speaks slowly. Twould be like hitting a worm. It is nigh, and on bills. Mrs. Stewart in this truck not cleared yet. Yeah, 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 Yes, sir. Instead of you doing your rightful work, you've been below here gossiping like old women's talk with that boy. Get on out of this. You clean up the chart room. Pick up the dish, Mr. Stewart. Yes, sir. The next dish you break, Mr. Stewart, you take a bath in the Bering Sea at the end of the rope. Yes, sir. He hurries out. The second mate walks slowly over to the captain. I want especially anxious the man at the wheel, should catch what I wanted to say to you, sir. That's why I asked you to come below. Speak your say, Mr. Slocrum. Slowcrum Slocum. I'm afraid they'll be troubled with their hands by the local things. They'll don't like. Turn ugly, they'll bless one of them if you don't put back the two years they signed up for is up to do and do you think, and do you think you're telling me something new, Mr. Slocum? I felt it in the air for the long past time past. Do you think I've not seen their ugly looks and the grudging way they work? The door in the rear is open, and Mrs. Kinney stands in the doorway. She's slight, sweet-faced little woman, primly dressed in black. Her eyes are red from weeping, and her face drawn and pale. She takes in the cabin with a frightened glance and stands as fixed to the spot by some nameless dread, clasping it and unclasping her hands nervously. The two men turn and look at her. Well, Annie... David, I... Wait. Yes, sir. Do you want anything, Annie? I thought I'd go up on deck, David, to get a breath of fresh air. It's cold, Annie. You'd best stay below today. There's nothing to look at on the deck but ice. I know... Ice 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 (laughs) But there's nothing to see down here but these walls You can play the organ annie I hate I hate the organ it puts me in mind of home I got it just for you I know Ah water (laughs) clear water as far as I can see how good it looks after all these months of ice Ah, no, I must go up on deck and look at it, David. Best not today, Annie. Best wait for a day when the sun shines. But the sun never shines in the terrible place. Best not today, Annie. Very well, David. Annie? Yes, David. Me and Mr. Slocum has business to talk about ship's business. Very well, David. She goes slowly rear, and slowly out to rear and leaves the door three quarters shut behind her. Best not have her own deck if there's going to be any trouble. Yes, sir. And trouble, there's going to there's be a it in my bones. Got you on? Yes, sir. Not that we'll have to use them. Not if I know their breed of dog, just to frighten them up a bit. I ain't never been forced to use one yet in trouble I've got had by land and by sea as long as I can remember, and will have till my dying day, I reckon. Then you ain't going to turn back? Turn back, Mr. Slocum. Did you ever hear me pointing sooth for a home without a measly 400 barrel of isle in the hold? No, sir. But the grub's getting low. There's enough to last a long time yet, and they're careful with it, and there's plenty of water. They say it's not fit to eat, what's left? And the two years they're signed up for is up today. They may make trouble for you in the courts when we get home. Deal with them. Let them make that what law trouble they can. I don't give a damn about their money I've got to get the oil. You ain't turning no damn sea lawyer abused Mr. Slocum not by a hell of a sight sir what do the fools want to go home for now their share in the four hundred bow wouldn't keep them in chewing tobacco they wants to get back to their folks and things I suppose mm, you want to get back too don't lie Mr. Slocum tis rip plain in your eyes I hope Mr. Slocum you ain't uh, going to join the men again me that ain't fair, sir, to say such things. I war not much afeared, so that, Dom, um, you been with me nigh or ten years, and I've ne'er learned, ye really, no man can say I ain't a good master if I be a hard one. I wasn't thinking of myself, sir, about turning home, I mean, but Mrs. Kenny, sir, seems like she ain't just satisfied up here, Ailin like... What with the cold and bad luck on the ice and all? That's my business, Mr. Slocum. I'll thank you to stay clear course of that. The ice will break up soon to know that I could see it starting today. And when it goes and we get some sun, and it'll perk up. It ain't the damn money what's keeping up the northern seas, Tom. But I can go back to Homeport with a measly 400 better oil. I die fuss. I ain't never come back home in all my days without a full ship. Ain't that the truth? Yes, sir. But this voyage, you been icebound. And, and you suppose that any of them would believe that? Any of them skippers are beaten voyage after voyage? Can't you hear them laughing and sneering? Tibbets and Harris and Sims and the rest of them. And oh, home port making fun of me? Dave Kinney. What boasts he's the best best whaling skipper out oh home port home, coming back with a measly 400 barrel of oil hell I got to get the aisle I'll tell you you could figure out, you could figure on this ice it's been here so bad before the the 30 year I've been a coming and now it's breaking up it's a couple of days it'll all be gone and there's a whale here plenty of them I know they is, and I ain't never gone wrong yet. I got it to get the aisle. I got to get it in spite of all hell, and by God, I ain't going home till I do get it. Don't you be standing there like a god called Speak up. We won't, the men sir. They won't send a deputation off to have a word with you. Tell them to go. Tell them to come. I'll see them. Aye, aye, sir. Here it comes. The trouble you spoke of, Mr. Slocum. And they'll make short shift of it. It's better to crush such things at the start than let them make headway. Shall I wake up the first and fourth, sir? We might need their help. No! Let them sleep. I'm well able to handle this alone, Mr. Slocum. Well, who's to speak for ye? I be. So you be. Then speak, you say, and be quick of it. Then speak, you say, and be quick of it. The time we signed up for is done today. You're telling me nothing I don't know. You ain't puttin' for home yet, far as we can see. No, and I ain't goin' a goin' till the ship is full of oil. You can't go no further, nor with the ship, with the ice afore ye. The ice is breaking up. The grub we're gettin' low is now is rotten. It's good enough for ye. Better men than ye have eaten worse. We ain't a going to, to work no more lest you puts us back for home. You ain't, ain't you? No, and the law court said, I'll say we was right. To hell with your law courts. We're all at sea now, and I'm the law on this ship. And every mother son of you that won't obey orders and irons, and then they are going to mutiny and take the old hooker home ourselves, ain't we boys? Hi, hoodie, in here? As he turns his head to look at the others, Kinney's first shoots out to the side of his jaw. Joe goes down in a heap and lies there. Mrs. Kinney gives a shriek and hides her face in her hands. The men pull out their sheathed knives and start to rush, but stop when they find themselves confronted by the revolvers of Kenny and their mate. Hold still, the men huddle together in a sullen silence. Kenny's voice is full of mockery. You found out it ain't safe to mutiny on the ship, ain't you? And now get forward where you be- where you belong. And he gives Joe's body a contemptuous look. Drag him with you. And remember, the first men of you... If ye I see a shuckin', I'll shoot dead as sure as there's a sea under us, and you can tell the rest the same. Get forward now, quick. The men leave in a couch, silence carrying Angel with them. Kenny turns to the mate, and with a short laugh puts his revolver back in his pocket. <laughs> Best get up on deck, Mr. Slocum, and see if they don't try none of their skulkin' tricks. They'll have to keep an eye peeled from now. We'll have to keep an eye peeled from now on. I know him. Yes, sir. He goes out. Right, Kinley hears his wife hysterical weeping and turns around in surprise. Then walks slowly toward his side, putting an arm around her shoulder with gruffness. There, there, Annie. Don't be afeard, It's all past and gone. Shrinking from him. Oh, I can't bear it. I can't bear it any longer. Can't bear what, Annie? Ah, this terrible brutality, and these brutes of men, and this terrible ship, and this prison cell of a room, and the ice all around, and the silence! After this outburst, she calms herself down, and wipes her eyes with a handkerchief. After a pause, during which he looks down with a puzzled frown, remember? I want hankering to have you come on this voyage, Annie. I wanted to be with you, David. Don't you see? I didn't want to wait there in that house all alone as I've been doing the last six years since we were mad. Waiting and watching and fearing with nothing to keep my mind occupied. Not able to go back teaching school on account of being Dave Kinney's wife. I used to dream of sailing in the great white glorious ocean. I wanted to be by your side in the Danger and vigorous life of it all. I wanted to see you, the hero they make you out to be in home Hellport, and instead, all I find is ice and cold and brutality. I warned you what it'd be, Annie. When it ain't no ladies' tea party, I says to you, and you better stay the home where you've got all your woman's comfort. But you were so set on it. Oh, I know it wasn't your fault, David. You see, I didn't believe you. I guess I was dreaming about the old Vikings in the storybooks, and I thought you were one of them. I done my best to make it as cozy and comfortable as could be. I even sent to the city for that organ for ye, thinking it might be soothing to ye to be playing at times when there was calms and things was dull like. Yes, you were very kind, David. I know that, she goes off to left and lifts the curtains from the porthole and looks out, then suddenly bursts forth. I won't stand for it. I can't stand for it. Pick up in these walls like a prisoner. She runs over and throws over to him and throws her arms around him, weeping. He puts his arm protectively over her shoulders. Take me away from here, David. If I don't get away from here, out of this terrible ship, I'll go mad. Take me home, David. I can't think anymore. I feel as if... The cold and the silence were crushing down on my brain. I'm afraid. Take me home. Holds her arm's length and looks at her face and she says, best to go to bed, Annie. You ain't yourself. And you got fever. Your eyes look so strange-like. I ain't never seen you like this before. It's the ice and the cold and the silence. They've made anyone look strange in a month or two with luck. At the most I'll have her filled with Isle And then We'll give her everything she'll stand And pint for home But we can't wait for that I can't wait I want to go get home And the men won't wait They want to get home It's cruel It's brutal for you to keep them You must sail back They've n- got no excuse There's clear water to the south now If you've a heart at all Won't You've got to turn back. I can't, Annie. Why can't you? A woman couldn't rightly understand my reason. Because it's stupid, stubborn reason? Oh, I heard you talking with the second mate. You're afraid the captains will sneer at you because you didn't come back with a full ship. You want to live up to your silly reputation, even if you have to beat and starve and drive me mad to do it. It ain't that, Annie. Them skippers... Would never dare sneer to my face. It ain't so much that anyone would say, but he hesitates, struggling to express his meaning. You see, I've always done it since my first voyage as a skipper. I've always come back with a full ship, and it, it don't seem right to somehow. I've been the always first whaling skipper out on home port, and uh, don't you see my meaning, Annie? He glances at her. She's looking at him, but staring dully in front of her, not hearing a single word. Annie! She comes to herself with a start. Best turn in. Annie, there's a good woman. You ain't well. Mrs. Kenny resisting her attempts to guide her to the door and rear. David, won't you please turn back? I can't, Annie. Not yet a while. You don't see me meaning. I got to get with the aisle. It'll be different. If you needed the money, but you don't, you've got more than plenty. It ain't the money I'm thinking of. Do you think I'm as mean as that? No, I don't. No, I can't understand. Oh, I want to go home in the old house once more and see my kitchen again and hear a woman's voice talking to me and be able to talk to her. Two years, it seems so long ago. So if I'd been dead and could never go back... Worried by her strange tone and the faraway looking eyes, best to go to bed, Annie. you ain't well, not appearing to him to hear Mrs. Kinney. I used to be lonely when you were away. I used to think a homeport was a stupid, monotonous place. Then I used to go down on the beach, especially when it was windy, and the breakers were rolling in, and I dream of the fine, free life you must be leading. <laughs> she gives half a laugh and a sob. I used to love the sea then, <laughs> she pauses and continues with slow intensity, but now, I don't ever want to see the sea again, tis no fit place for a woman that's sure, I was a fool to bring ye. after a pause, passing her hand over her eyes with a gesture of pathetic weariness, Mrs. Kenny, how long would it take you, us to reach home, if we start now? About two months, I reckon, Annie. With fair luck, that would be August. The latter part of August, wouldn't it? It was on the twenty-fifth of August we were married, David, wasn't it? Trying to conceal the fact that her memories have moved him, gruffly. Don't you remember? Mrs. Skinning vaguely again passes her hand over eyes. My memory is leaving me up here in the ice. It's been so long. A pause, then she smiles dreamily. It's June now. The lilacs will be all in the bloom in the front yard, and the climate roses on the trellis on the side of the house. They're budding. She suddenly covers her face with her hands and commences to sob. Go in and rest, Annie. You're all wore out crying over what you can't be helped. Suddenly, throwing her arms around his neck and clinging to him, Mrs. Kenny. You love me, don't you, David? Kenny, in amazed embarrassment that that was. Love you? Why'd you ask me that? Such a question, Annie. Mrs. Kenny, shaking him fiercely. But you do, don't you, David? Tell me. Kenny, I'm your husband, Annie, and you're my wife. Could there be aught but love between us after all these years? Mrs. Kinney shaking him again, still more fiercely. Then you do love me. Say it. Kenny. I do, Annie. Mrs. Kinney gives a sigh of relief. Her hands drop to her sides. Kenny regards her anxiously. She passes her hand across to her eyes and murmurs half to herself, I sometimes think if we could only have had a child. Kenny turns away from her. Deeply moved, she grabs his arm and turns him around to face her intensely. And I've always been a good wife to you, haven't I, David? His voice. Betraying his emotion, Kenny says, No man ever had a better, Annie. I've never asked you for much from you, have I? David, have I? You know you could have all I got the power to give, Annie. Then do this. This once for my sake. For God's sake, take me home. It's killing me. This life, this brutality and cold and horror of it i'm going mad i can't feel the threat in the air i can hear the silence threatening me day after gray day and every day at the same i can't bear it i'll go mad i know i will take me home david if you love me as you say i'm afraid for the love of god take me home she throws arms around him weeping against his shoulder his face betrays the tremendous struggle going on within him He holds her out at arm's length, his expression softening. For a moment, his shoulders sag. He becomes old. His iron spirit weakens as he looks at her tear-stained face. Dragging out the words with an effort, Mr. Kenny. I'll do it, Annie, for your sake, uh, if you say it's needful for you. With Wild Joy kissing, God bless you for that, David. He turns away from her silently and walks through the companionway, just at that moment there is a clatter of footsteps on the stairs, and the second me enters the cabin, the ice is a breaking up to the north, sir, there's a clear passage from the flow, and the clear water beyond, the lookout says, Kenny straightens himself like a man coming out of a trance, Mrs. Kenny the mate with terrified eyes, a clear passage to the northern, yes sir, then get her ready and we'll drive her through, aye aye sir, David! Will the men turn to willing or must we drag them out? They'll turn to willing enough. You put the fear in guard them, sir. They're meek as lambs. Then drive them, both watches. Grim determination. There's a whale to the other side of this flow and we're gonna get them. Aye, sir. He goes out hurriedly a moment later. There's a shout and the sound of scuffing feet from the deck outside, and the mate's voice shouting orders. Speaking aloud to himself derisively, and I was a goin' a home like a yellow dog. David Woman, you ain't a doing right when you meddle in a men's business and weaken him. You can't know my feelings. I got to prove a man to be a good husband for ye to take pride in. I got to get the aisle I'll tell ye David, aren't you going home? Ignoring his question commandingly, mister Kenny, you ain't well. Go and lay down. A uh, mite. He starts the door. I got to get to the deck. He goes out. She cries after him in anguish. David! A pause. She passes her hand, wrestles it, then commences to laugh hysterically and goes to the organ. She sits down and starts to play a wild note hymn. Kenny re enters from the doorway to the deck and stands looking at her angrily. He comes over and grabs her roughly by the shoulder. Woman, what foolish mocking is this? She laughs wildly and he starts back from her in alarm. Annie, what is it? She doesn't answer him. Kenny's voice trembles. Don't you know me, Annie? He puts both hands at her shoulders and turns her around so that he can look at her in the eyes. He stares up at her with a stupid expression, a vague smile on her lips. He stumbles away from her. She commences softly to play the organ, swallowing hard, in a hoarse whisper, as if he had difficulty speaking. Mister Kinney says, "You said you was going mad." God, a long wail is heard from the deck above. A blow. A moment later, the mate's face appears from the skylight. He cannot see Mrs. Kinney. Well, sir, a whole school of em off the starboard quarter about five miles big ones are you lowering the boats yes sir i'm a coming with you i i say you'll get the aisle now right enough sir turns to annie did you hear him i'll get the aisle she doesn't answer or seem to know who he is Gives a hard laugh which is almost a groan i know you're a fool of me annie you ain't out your mind be you i'll get the aisle right now right enough just to a while longer, Annie, then we'll turn onward. I can't turn back now. You see what? You see that, don't you? I've got to get the aisle. Answer me! Like mad, be you. She keeps on playing the organ, but makes no reply. The mate's face appears again through the skylight. Already, sir, Kenny turns his back on his wife and strides to the doorway where he stands for a moment and looks back at her in anguish, fighting in control. His feelings come, sir. Coming, sir. I. He turns abruptly and goes out. Mrs. Kenny does not appear to notice his departure. Her whole attention seems centered in the organ. She sits with half closed. Her body is swaying a little from side to side to the rhythm of the hymn. Her fingers move faster and faster, and she is playing wildly and discordantly as the curtain falls into play. So that's a little 20-minute play called Isle. I don't know how I pronounced it in the beginning, but it's Isle, a really harsh New England accent. Um, I like that play. I think it's it's classic Eugene O'Neill, where he really gets into the dialect of how um, people in a certain world, and Eugene O'Neill um, spent some time on ships, and he he knows that sailor's tongue, and he really gets into it and then but not only that, he gets the nuances of humanity, which um I think sometimes I feel like modern playwrights like contemporary playwrights are missing. Eugene really has always gotten to he's gotten the superficial and the internal and he can do them both at the same time. And I love I love that. Um I would love to play Mrs. Kenny. I'm not sure if I'm gonna do this play on tour just because um, I don't know I might but I, I could cast it really well but I just don't know if it has a bigger theme that could connect to like Harry Ape is a good play which I'll probably read to you guys the next time but the reason I like Harry Ape is because it deals with class consciousness and cast in the artificial cast system. Um, within American society, because we call ourselves a classless society, but we have a caste system here. But this play, it, it, it's dealing with ambition and with um, the ambition which will override, tries to override humanity and the dangers that come from it. So you know we're left wondering: Will Mrs. Kenny survive this? Will she won't? Will she not? This is a good. These are great questions. So we'll see. Who knows? um But anyway, Eugene O'Neill, we're on the Eugene O'Neill kick. I'm not sure if I'm going to do his whole canon because it's a prolific canon. But um, I'll do a few of his lesser known plays for sure. Um, The ones that um, most of us don't get exposed um, to, which most of us don't have a lot of exposure. So that's it. This is Teresa Cox, Drama Lady Theater Group. I love you for listening. Thank you. Bye.